And so let me ask um, uh, JT share a little bit about just Easter and kind of the emotions that he feels or kind of how, how, what, is there anything that you feel or sense or uh, during this season that we call Easter season, anything at all that kind of, uh, anybody, something that just kind of wells up within you during this time? Is it a, a, a sentimental time or, um, huh? New life, new life, anything else? Hope, that's a good one, yeah. What else? What? Victory, wow, that's a real good word right there, yeah. What else? What is it? Relief. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Christ went willingly, knowing that he would suffer for it. Someone said life. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Life, and not just life, but life more abundant. Zoe is that word. I love that word in the Greek language. Jesus said you will have Zoe. Oh, yeah. I've met people named Zoe. They didn't know what that name meant. I said, how can you not know that? Nobody here named Zoe. I didn't mean to offend anyone. But amen. Oh, ah, great stuff. So, Father God, we um, we celebrate those things today, and we're going to celebrate them again tomorrow, and we're going to live in this in this awareness of all the things that you have done for us, not just during the Easter season, but every day. Uh, that is uh, your heart's desire that we would meditate on these and that we would take the time to thank you for those things. And so, God, we are grateful for your presence here. And this is a special place, Lord. This is a really cool school. And, uh, but uh, this time is, is, is really special, not because we're here, but because you're here. And that you said that if we would gather together in your name, we're here in your name, Jesus. And, and because of what you did, we're able to come together in your name. And when we do that, you said that you would be here in a in a in a in a in a, a very unique dynamic way, and so speak by your Holy Spirit, and give us the understanding that we need that we might further glorify you, and give honor to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And Lord, of course, uh, as I'm just reminded of Bernice and her family, uh, that God, you would be with them. This this woman was a rock small rock. You're the rock, but she was a small rock. And uh, she, uh, uh, you know, these are those times and seasons where all the teachings and all the late night talks and all of the admonitions and all the encouragement and all those things, this is, this is where those things need to be lived out in them. And uh, so God, that you would strengthen them as they are just... Uh, you know, breathing in and breathing out and trying to figure out what's next. And Lord, how much more so when you left and you gave your words to your men and that this was a time and a season for them to take all the words and all of the encouragements and all the admonitions and all of the scripture and now to apply it in their lives on a daily basis. And so we do that now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All righty. Very nice. Um, I, I would suggest, um, I guess it's too early, I don't know what time, I, I would suggest that you, you uh, uh, at the minimum, mute your phones, but you may also want to put your phone on airplane mode so as not to get NC2A updates during the sermon. Uh, if you're like me, I've 
my, I don't even look at my bracket anymore. I just, I might as well just shred it, you know. Uh, Middle Tennessee. Does anybody know where Middle Tennessee State is? Just curious. Just know anyone? Oh, it's right in the middle of Tennessee. I see. You guys are smart. See, next service wouldn't get that. I'm going to see. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. They wouldn't. They'd be like, oh. Anyway, wow. Anyhow, um, the providential train of circumstances. The providential train of circumstances. Um, God's ability to arrange things and to put things together and to put people in the right place at the right time uh, for whatever his purpose is. The providential train of circumstances. Can you look back at your life at times where, you know, maybe you weren't even a follower of God, but you realized that something very unique and, and dynamic had happened and, and you just kind of thought, wow, this is beyond just, you know, fate. That there's something behind this. I mean, you showed up at a time and a place, and there was something that happened. You know, like, like people say this. They say, you know, hey, everything happens for a reason. And, and I always say, well, if you don't believe in God, why does everything happen for a reason? Because after all, if we're all a, pl- a product of random chance plus time, then nothing happens for any reason. Because it's all random, and there's no... There's no great scheme in mind. There's no purpose to these things. And, you know, people want to believe that everything happens for a reason because they want to believe that, that there's purpose behind things. But if you don't have a God who is providential and involved in the lives of his people, how can everything work, to, work together? How can everything, you know, have a purpose? And, and how can, you know, there's a reason for everything, really? Well, if you're an atheist, is there a reason for everything? you don't believe in God, I don't know. Okay, we can all look back in our lives at times where, where God, you know, God showed up. And, and if you're like me, how many of you could, could say, you know, when I became a Christian, when I became like a follower of Christ, I look back and then it's like I realized all of those things. I just kind of said, no, now I know God was in that. Boy, God did that. Can I tell you a quick basketball story? Uh, see, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, I, I like I will anyway, right? You know, like so. Like it's my freshman year, and we're playing. Uh, it's the end of the season. We're on. Uh, we're on probation. Which, if you're a UNLV fan, you know what that means. Uh, and uh, so we're not going to the playoffs. We wouldn't have win anyway. But uh, so we're playing at the uh, uh, Anaheim Convention Center. We're playing athletes in action. I did not know who athletes in action was, but I did know that they were a bunch of former college players, some of which were really, really good who would go around all over the world, really, and play basketball games. But I never knew what athletes in action meant. I just thought it was a bunch of guys who were between college and the NBA or playing in Europe and who, you know, who didn't, uh, you know, were, were kind of in between. And so, so uh, we're, we're playing the game, and at halftime, uh, it's a very long halftime. And, uh, and we're, you know, coach, and it, it was really like an exhibition game at the end of the season, and coach said a few things, and, and then he says, okay, guys, just kind of sit back and just kind of chill. And it was like, okay. And then it was a little bit more and a little bit more. And finally, I just said, hey, coach, like, why are we, why are we still here? What's going on? And he goes, well, that team out there, they're out there talking. And I'm like 18 years old. You know, I'm, I'm what? I go, talking? Teams don't talk to the audience, do you mean? And I go, what are they talking about? 
And he goes, ah, don't worry about it. I said, okay. Well, I said, all right. And I had no idea that Athletes in Action was a Christian, a, a group of Christian athletes that traveled the world. And this basketball team was at a very high level. And, and they would share the gospel at halftime. I did not know that. And, and I, I've never heard the gospel preached. And I just thought, man, how cool is that? You know, and, uh, but we didn't, uh, we didn't get a chance to hear any of it, but still, I thought it was cool, <laughs> you know, like later on, right? The providential train of circumstance. When I got born again, I remembered that. I remembered that because I found out what they were. It's just kind of interesting. Um, let, me, let me just remind you that two weeks ago, we had a one service, and everyone was together, and there were specific things that we talked to you about your involvement in. Uh, young adults ministry is something that God has really laid on our heart. And if that's something you'd like to be a part of, we want to hear from you. Leadership, some of you have amazing administrative and leadership skills. We need you in this body of Christ. Family was another thing that we've established some goals for, and having a family minister and having a, a, a family uh, uh, overseer that in, uh, that integrates family thought process into everything, and then outreach, missions and outreach. At the end of our service today, we're going to take a missions offering. Uh, a group of people on Friday went down to the Las Vegas Rescue Mission and, and served the homeless there. And so uh, if any of those four areas, young adults, uh, leadership and discipleship, uh, family and outreach. If any of those four areas resonate with you, please come. We'll be in the back hanging around. Let us know that so we can uh, follow up on that. And and together we can meet the goals we believe God has, has laid on our hearts. Okay? So, all right. So, um, uh, we're going to talk about four characters this morning. Four, four characters this morning uh, that were a part of the Easter story uh, prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Um uh, we have the luxury of reading their stories and, and, and knowing how everything worth, worked out. They did not. They did not know that in the midst of what they were going through in the eternal word of God, their story was going to be written. Uh, they had no idea. Uh, now, perhaps you can relate to one of them because maybe it's a, it's a place where, where you are in your faith or maybe you could ask yourself this. Uh, have you responded to an encounter with Christ? Uh, have you responded to a, an encounter with Christ? And so here's the four characters we're going to look at this morning briefly. We're going to look at Malchus, the high priest's servant, Pilate, and there's a whole lot more about Pontius Pilate's wife, Simon of Cyrene, and Barabbas. Okay? Now, first, Malchus. After the Last Supper, as we call it, uh, that Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples cross over the Kidron Brook and enter into uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked Peter and James and John to, to, to watch and to pray and to join him in this moment of agony uh, and, and, and keep, keep him lifted up in prayer. And the Bible tells us it's an incredibly agonizing time. And the literal words that it uses says that it's a, he is sorrowful and he is amazed and he's deeply distressed and his soul is so heavy that he's near death. Uh, this is a serious, serious 
a, a difficult, the weight of everything that's about to happen, uh, he's feeling it, uh, Jesus is. And of course, uh, uh, he, he, he tells the disciples to pray, to pray and, and they're asleep, and he wakes them up, no, pray, and, 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 and they're asleep. And then well, finally, he says, you know what, everybody up, it's time, the hour's at hand. It's, this is it, this is it. Uh, his, his resolve is made up, he's... He knows what's next. He knows he's going to be arrested. And so uh, this is uh, the moment that all of eternity knew was going to come as he is turned over uh, to, the, to the ruthless, ruthless religious leaders and, and Roman government of, of, his, uh, of that day. Uh, <coughs> November the 11th, 1779, Thomas Jefferson signed a proclamation of thanksgiving and prayer. The next spring, George Washington issued an order on Wednesday, the 22nd of April, that that day be set apart as a day of fasting and humiliation and prayer. How cool would it be if the leader of our nation designated a day of fasting and praying and seeking God's heart? Oh, that is so politically incorrect. But just read the stories of our founding fathers, and they are laced with that. They're, they're constantly fasting and praying and asking God's interventions. Well, August the 30th, 1780, there's a man who was a national hero by the name of Benedict Arnold, who, through the influence of his wife, who was a British loyalist, convinces him to turn on uh, this young fledgling nation. Um, he, he decides and he agrees to surrender West Point for 20,000 pounds. Modern day translation, that's about a million dollars. Okay? And his name, of course, will live, will live on as a traitor. Yeah, in infamy, as a traitor. Benedict Arnold, <gasps> you know. Well, anyway, so the British spy John and uh, Major John uh, Andre met with Arnold and and tried to return back to the British lines dressed as a civilian. So he stopped by the sentries right on the edge of the line. He's searched once. He is searched again, and just as they are about to let him go. Someone says, check his boots. Check his boots. So in the hollow of his heel, as they check his boots, in the hollow of his heel is a map of West Point with battle plans and access points. He was executed as a spy. George Washington wrote this, the providential train of circumstances which led to it affords the most convincing proof that the liberties of America are the object of divine protection. Can you say amen to that? Uh, you read stories like that again and again and again and again and again and again about God being involved in the birth of this. There is no way that America should be who we are without the providential train of circumstances. And you might agree with General Washington, the, the providential train of circumstances led to this capture. 
Uh, and don't you think that there is a link between these national day of prayers and God revealing the plans of the enemy? By the way, I have for you in the back two stacks of these. This is Decision America Tour 2016. If you weren't aware, Franklin Graham is going to all of the nation's capitals uh, on their steps, and he's having prayer rallies. And so this is a sheet of paper that you can get involved in, and you can pray along with uh, a really a whole nation of people. Every day there's a different prayer emphasis. Grab one of these, look at today's day, and pray. Uh, our nation needs prayer, maybe perhaps like it never has before. So grab one of those. And also, I want to encourage you to get involved in a light group as we do the war room. Uh, there are sign-ups back there. Get involved in a small group. It's a five-week study. There's couples groups. There's men's groups. There's women's groups. There's family groups, okay? Uh, different days of the week, different times. But but let's, let's not just go through a five-week study and prayer, but let's do it together, and then let's be praying as we do it, all right? So you can grab that. That's back there, and get signed up for one of those. Sounds like a good idea today for our nation to be praying, and who better than the church to be leading the charge? Uh, uh, who else but the church to lead the charge, right? All right, we're in Matthew chapter 22. Malchus, it says in verse 50, Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. And the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Verse 52, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I can ask my father for thousands of angels, your Bible may say 12 legions, uh, to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you came with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why, don't you, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples, all of the disciples deserted him and fled. Okay, all of this is happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. We could call that the providential train of circumstances and God's ability to make his word come to pass. Malchus. And so Peter, scripture tells us, is the one who draws his sword. And they're obviously in very close quarters, and this is a very tense moment as they have come, this mob of soldiers have come to arrest Jesus, uh, and, and, and Peter draws his sword, and, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest, Malchus, uh, the high priest's servant, his name is Malchus. And you have to think, now Peter was, you know, we've learned a little bit about Peter throughout, you know, Peter's kind of like that. Uh, he, he's not going to let Jesus be taken without a fight, and so out comes the sword, and whew, and off comes the guy's ear, all right? Um, is he protecting Jesus? Yeah, it, 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 we honor Jesus by how we live our life every day. Uh, you do know that we don't need to protect the honor of Jesus. Uh, you do know that, right? Uh, he's more than capable of doing that himself. Uh, compare that with Islam and their prophet Muhammad, in which they are bound 
to buy de- even to death to protect the honor of Muhammad. Jesus Christ will protect his own honor. Uh, we don't need to protect his honor. He will do that just fine. Peter is protecting Jesus. Um, uh, maybe he's uh, not trying to protect the Lord, but maybe he's, this just Peter how he is. What? Yeah, right. Whew, off comes the sword and, and off comes uh, by the way, they're severely outnumbered, this, this group is. I mean, there's a, there's a mob. And Jesus makes a comment and says, you know, put your sword away. Don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels at my side? And I thought, okay, what's a legion? Um, a legion is 6,000 soldiers, people. And so, so in, in the scripture, Jesus says, my father would send me more than 12 legions if I requested it. So let's not try to figure out what that means, but let's just take the number 12 legions. One legion is 6,000 angels. 6,000 angels times 12 is 72,000 angels. If you're not aware of this, angels are very powerful. In fact, in Isaiah uh, chapter 37, verse 36, it records how one angel killed 185 thousand men one night one angel so if you do the math and if a single angel kills uh, can kill 185,000 men in one night the combined strength of 6,000 angels would be enough to destroy 1 billion 100 million men and and of course I'm sort of like I think one angel could even do that too I, I, I mean um uh, so it's not a matter of protecting Jesus. So P- Peter's, you know, we, we don't know exactly why he pulled the sword, but but Malchus, the high priest's servant. <clears throat> um, maybe this was just a routine raid. Okay, man, tonight we're going to arrest somebody. In the, they're in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, let's roll. Well, well who are we going to arrest? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And I wonder if he knew about Jesus. I mean, we don't know. I wonder if he thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. Jesus? Even Jesus, the Nazarene? The one who's been doing all the miracles and raising people from the dead and giving blind people? We're going to arrest him? I, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what kind of locker room con- pregame conversation was going on, if any at all. Uh, was there much discussion about that? Were they nervous? Were they a little apprehensive? You remember when they came, Jesus says, who are you here to arrest? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And you know what happens, right? They all go flump. They all fall over. And Jesus is like, okay, go ahead. I am he. How many men were there? Were there 100? Were there 200? Were there 600 men who came to arrest him? We don't know. But, But just the sheer force of his word and malchus was in that crowd malchus we're here to arrest jesus whoa and like okay what just happened how come we're all laying what ah malchus so he loses his ear now think about that think about that there's blood all over the place because you know any kind of a wound that's a head wound bleeds fast okay his 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 ear is on the ground 
And, and, it's, and it's just, it, there's blood everywhere. And, and it's gross, and it's this nasty scene. And, and Jesus picks up his ear, and it's, it's got dirt all over it. It's nasty. And, 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 it, and, it, and, and there's blood everywhere. And he picks up, he doesn't go, oh, somebody give me a handkerchief. No, he picks it up, and he, and he, and he, and he, puts, it, he puts it back onto his head. The bleeding stops. The ear is reattached. There's no scar, and the pain is gone. Put yourself in Malchus's sandals. And, and you know, it had to happen like that. Like, like okay. Wait. And he's pulling on his ear that was just, and maybe he's fondling for it and going, oh my, I just lost my ear. Wait, what? And, and, and he's grabbing it, and he, and what about the guy next to him? What just that? What? Put yourself in that, in that, if, if, if you even can. What an amazing display of the grace of God. What an amazing display of the love of Christ. This man came to arrest him, and he heals him. Malchus encountered Christ and walked away physically healed. How could you ever forget that? Ever. Uh, How could that not have changed him? The blood on his shirt would serve as a constant reminder of the love of Christ. I mean, he had to have blood all over him. How would he explain when he went home, what happened to you? You're injured. Where are you? You've got blood all over you. How how does he explain that to his friends, his family, maybe his wife? I don't know. What do you say? You'll never believe what happened. You won't believe it. How does he explain it? Did he, did he back away? Did he, did he become a follower of Christ? Did he give his... We don't know. We, don't, we know nothing. But by the providential train of circumstances, his story is an eternal word of God. We'll find out in heaven what happened. But for whatever reason, we're not supposed to know. You know, that tells me that even someone who's described as a slave matters to Jesus. This time... He confronts his enemies with humility and compassion. There will be a time where he'll confront his enemies with power and fierceness. In the big story of God, our own encounters with Jesus really matter. They really matter. Malchus, wow. Boy. How about Pontius Pilate? There's a lot been written about him. He's probably one of the more... Uh, famous characters of the story. The Roman government of Judea, where Jerusalem was located, um, was a hotbed. It, 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 it was a, uh, this man seemed to take special pleasure in harassing the Jews. And one time he took money from the treasury temple and used it to build an aqueduct. I mean, he just walks into the temple and says, give me that. What are you doing with that money? I'm going to go build some building, man. Now relax, or we'll kill you all. Oh, they hated this man, 
right? Uh, he brought pagan image, images into the city. Uh, there was a lot of chaos. Rome was like had had it up to here with Jerusalem. Like they're insurrection after insurrection, and, uh, and that's why in 70 A.D. they were like, you know what, man, we're done with you, and they just destroyed the entire city. Um, his goal was to try to keep things quiet. He's trying to control the people who hate those who are leading over them. Uh, in order for Jesus to be put to death, uh, the religious leaders needed Rome on their side because they couldn't do it. And they wanted Jesus Christ to be crucified because it was thought that those who were crucified were actually cursed. And they hoped to show all the people once and for all that Jesus was not the Savior, but that he was cursed. So John chapter 18, let's read verse 28 through 38, gives us a little more insight. It says, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would, be, it would defile them. Isn't that interesting? They're about to put the Son of God to death, but they don't want to be defiled by these Romans. That's what religion will do for you. And they wouldn't be allowed to, hey, if we go in there, we can't celebrate the Passover. So anyway, verse 29, so Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Verse 33, then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus uh, to be brought to him. Are you the king of... Here, Pontius Pilate having a face-to-face with Jesus. And he goes, are you the king of the Jews? He asked him, verse 34, Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Uh, is that class? Um, um, and, that... and he says, am I a Jew? Your own people uh, and the leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would keep fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. Oh. There, at least five different times, Pilate would, would, would try to get Jesus off the hook. At least five different times. Pilate, however, makes the mistake of asking the question, what is, he's got not someone who speaks truth. He's got truth incarnate standing right in front of him. And he asked the million-dollar question, what is truth? Because he doesn't know the answer, and then he turns and walks away. He doesn't let Jesus answer. Who knows? Maybe Jesus would have said, I am truth. What? What do you mean? Nope. 
He's so aggravated, agitated, angry. He's, he, he knows that Jesus is innocent. And he says, what is truth? And he turns and walks away. It's a tragedy when we fail to recognize truth. But it's a greater tragedy when we recognize truth but fail to listen or heed it. Pilate encounters Jesus, and it's seemingly he's left with only more questions. <sighs> There's a sixth unfair trial from Herod's palace. He ends up going back to Pilate's hall. Neither of them could find any fault with him. Pilate's own wife said, have nothing to do with this man. I've had, I've had nightmares about him. She, she's saying, man, don't do this. this. I mean, his own wife. It's just interesting. Um, she says, don't, don't uh, do nothing to that righteous man, for I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Well, there was a custom at the Feast of Passover that the governor would release whomever the people wanted to release. Isn't that interesting? Whoever you guys want will release one. Wow. So Matthew 27, verse 20 says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, to be released, and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two, as they're standing before the people, here's Barabbas, here's Jesus, and Pontius Pilate, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ, the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Here we go. Look at Pilate. Why? He doesn't want to do this because he knows that Jesus is innocent. Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water, washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, this is, this is, they had no idea what they were saying when they said this. We will take responsibility for our death, we and our children. And it wasn't 40 years later that their children suffered destruction in 70 A.D. when Titus destroyed the temple in Jerusalem because Rome had had enough. Now, let me just say this. They said the responsibility is ours. He says the responsibility is ours. We will take responsibility for it. The responsibility is mine. It's mine and yours, not just theirs. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Barabbas, he is called a notorious prisoner, a murderer, an insurrectionist, guilty of crimes against Rome, he is. It is quite possible that the prison where he was staying, was close enough to this praetorium that he could have heard all of the yelling and all of the screaming and all of the shouting. And, and maybe, maybe with his ear to his, if he even had a window, to his cell, maybe he's going, now what's all the noise about? 
man, something big is going down. And people are yelling and screaming. And, and maybe he hears his own, Barabbas, what? They're calling my name. And maybe he knows, hey, it's the Passover. He's got to let a prisoner go. Man, there's no way they're letting me go. Man, I'm, I'm, man, I'm all, I'm straight guilty. Man, I've killed Romans. I want to, I want to over, I, I want to overturn this government. Man, they're, they're not letting me. Why are they shouting? It's quite possible that that he heard that. What was it like? Put yourself in Barabbas' cell. Uh, he's been brutalized, no doubt, been beaten by these Roman guards. They have no, they can't wait to crucify this guy. Man, let, let me drive the nails into his body. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it by myself. These guys, they can't wait for this man to be executed. What was it like when the door opens and he's probably thinking, here it is. Now, man, now I'm going to be crucified on the outside of the city. And the guard rolls in and says, hey, Barabbas, roll it up, man. The governor wants to see you. What? What? For what? Don't you worry about it. Let's go. And he stands before the people and they're yelling and screaming his name. And he looks over at Jesus. And he looks over at Pilate. And, and he's winning the popular vote. They can't believe it. What, what was it like standing next to this battered, beaten, bruised, Jesus, uh, did he know of Christ's mission with the poor and the oppressed? Did he wonder what, what crime did he do to get beat down that bad? Did he know that, that, that the religious leaders were behind all of this? Did he think this is all a trick? I know it is. They're going to pull them. Something bad's going to happen here. I can. No. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. Pilate washes his hands. They take the shackles off of Barabbas, and he walks away free. There's the door. Out you go. Really? I, I just picture him running full speed. Oh, you sure? Like first he takes a few steps, and then maybe he walks slowly, and he sprints out the door. Off to kill more Romans and to try to topple the government. Barabbas encounters Jesus and was set free. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, there's another man that we want to look at. His name is um, Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. Uh, this man was either an immigrant living near Jerusalem or more likely a pilgrim who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Cyrene is an area of North Africa. Um, he had to stay because uh, there was no room in the city. He's outside the city and standing on the side of the road with everybody else, and there's this massive crowd coming, and there's someone being crucified, and it wasn't a big deal. They saw that sort of a thing all the time. And he's just, you know... Kicking back and going, wow, wonder who that guy is. Wonder what he did. Maybe he knew who he was. Maybe that's why it was so interesting. We don't know. And, 
And Jesus, of course, is carrying that, that, that cross, probably not the entire cross because that would have weighed too much, but the, the cross beam, no doubt he was carrying that. And he's, and he's already in critical condition. It's been a day and a half, almost two days with no food and no water and probably no sleep, not to mention he's been flogged and beaten. So He walks into an emergency room. He's in critical condition right now, and he's carrying a cross to the place of crucifixion. And he's stumbling, and he's dropping, and he's falling. And the crowd is going, oh, man, oh, this is agony. Why does Rome do this? And, he, and he's just a face in the crowd. And, 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 and Jesus stumbles, and, 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 and the Romans have had enough because they want to get this thing going on, and they, they don't have all day. And they go, hey, you, come here, carry his cross. And he's like, whoa, hold on, man, I'm just, woo. And all of a sudden, he picks up the cross of Christ, and he's carrying it. And there's blood all over the place, and, and, it's, and it's, it's dusty and dirty, and, and, and maybe even Christ's flat parts of his flesh are on it. I, I don't know what this is right here or why this is doing that. And, and, and he carries the cross of Christ to the place of execution, and, 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 he, and he takes that crossbar and he, and he drops it and he backs away and and, uh, and he's he's hurled into this story just a guy in the i'm just a dude man i was just standing there i wasn't i wasn't making i wasn't screaming or hollering i wasn't i was just just a dude in the crowd and 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 whew, he's carrying this cross simon encountered jesus and carried his cross Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, mentions Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus. And that's kind of interesting because that suggests that the disciples were well known in the early church because in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul the Apostle says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And it's interesting to think that that Rufus is the same one whose father carried the cross of Christ. It's just interesting. Who knows? So anyway, here's, here's the deal. Malchus encounters Christ and he's healed. Whether or not he was healed spiritually, we don't know. Malchus, he's a servant. He's... he's He's a, he's a soldier, and he's got an ear that's been reattached. And all of his life, he tells the story, I would assume, of who knows, maybe he never talked about it. I don't know. But yeah, right? Uh, Pilate encounters Jesus and seemingly walks away with just more questions. Barabbas encounters Jesus, and he's set free. He's a murderer. He deserves to die. And he's set free. Simon encounters Jesus and he carries his cross. And throughout the eternal word of God, we know this man's name. So, have you encountered Jesus? And what's been the result? Because whenever we encounter Christ, something happens. Something changes. 
we get some revelation about something, we get some direction about something, we get challenged about something, uh, we, 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 something, have you encountered Jesus? And if you have, let me just tell you, God's providential train of circumstances caused it. It wasn't because of fate. It wasn't because, you know, just happened to be at the right place at the right time. It was because God arranged the encounter. Let me ask you this question. In these stories that we wrote, that we, we read, who wrote the script? Who wrote the script? Who hired the actors? The real life participants. You think that Barabbas had any idea that he was going to be walking out of that prison cell alive, a free man? You think that Malchus had any idea that morning that he was going to encounter Christ and receive a physical healing? You think that Simon of Cyrene, a man from North Africa, standing in a crowd, was going to be hurled into this story? And maybe as a result of that, he and his family became followers of Christ. But God knew it, and he arranged the appointments. Let me just remind you, your encounters with Jesus matter, and there's purpose in it. And it's not meant to stop with one encounter. It's not meant to just be what happened 20 years ago or five years ago or yesterday because every day there's a fresh encounter that God wants to have with you and me and sometimes it's not scheduled or planned and he shows up in a way that you least expect him. Sometimes it's someone who's homeless Sometimes it's someone who's in need. Maybe it's someone in prison that you visit. I tell you what, when we go down to the budget suites down here, there'll be a whole lot of people that Jesus would say, when you ministered to them, you ministered to me. So amen to the encounter of the physical healing. Amen to the encounter of, with Christ and being set free. And amen to encountering Christ and having questions that don't get answered. Because some questions will never be answered. But amen to carrying the cross of Christ daily. Just like Simon did. May it not stop. Easter is a time of encountering Christ. But so is today. So, we believe there are no coincidences. We believe that everything happens for a reason. And we believe those who are here today are here for a reason. May have our ushers come forward. We're going to take a missions offering. And as you all prepare that, I want to pray. Lord Jesus, oh, we have encountered you, and it's all because of you. We receive your grace and your mercy today. The Lord, you would... You would continue to meet with us 
in unique and dynamic ways, in some ways that are unexpected. We don't ever, we don't ever want to miss an encounter with you, Lord. We don't, how, in whatever way that it comes. This morning, there are those here who have encountered you. And maybe there's an issue of the heart to say, Jesus, I, I, I need a, a physical healing. Jesus, I need a spiritual healing. Jesus, I need to be set free. Maybe you're, in your heart, you just know, man, I need Christ in my life. And I need, I need, I need Jesus. Like, your heart is resonating with that, that you're, you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior, that there is no other way to God but by Him. And in your heart, you're like, man, I agree with that. I hear it. I see it. I know it. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ this morning, to confess Him as Lord. You already believe in your heart, and you want to confess it and say, yes, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Just say, you know what, that's me, man. I don't understand it all, but I just know that this is bigger than just this moment. God's been working in my heart, and I receive it. I, I agree. And it, maybe it's your first time doing anybody at all. Yes, amen, brother. Amen, brother. Standing for the Lord, too. May you stand every day for him, not just today, every day. Anybody else? Anybody else? God, thank you. Yeah, brother. Amen. Amen. God, no, no coincidence. May your whole life story has all been designed so that you would walk with Christ daily. Amen. Brother right here, stand. Amen. God sees your heart, man. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, we just, we receive your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love for us. The Lord, you would, even these, these men that we looked at in the, in the scriptures, man, these were, these were rough and tumble men. These were hard men. These were, these were, difficult men but 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 lord you reached out to them you reached just like you reached out to us lord in a time when we weren't expecting it in a way that maybe was unplanned and you and you encountered us and by your grace we we acknowledge you so uh, forgive us our sins lord this day walk with us and give us your grace and mercy we need it in the name of jesus everyone said amen